All right, well, if you have your Bibles, open up to Matthew chapter 14, and uh, we're going to talk a little bit about playing it safe. So Heavenly Father, thank you so much this morning. Uh, as we just open our hearts now to what you'd have to say, I pray each of us would be get just one, two, maybe three things that you'd be talking to us about this morning as you engage us with your words. In Jesus' name, amen. It's taken a few years for me to be able to get to the point to share a story with what I'm about to share with you this morning. Uh, Most of you know, it is now a staple in our church, that if you go through those doors, that whole section over there is our kids' center. And uh, many of you walk in and go, wow, you know, what a What a neat thing. They got a cabin in here. They got a surf shack in here. Uh, They got nice themed wallpaper and, uh, you know, lights and all that kind of stuff. And it's a really neat place. It's one of my favorite places. I I love watching my kids run in there and they're they're, they're happy and, and a lot of kids in there just having a great time learning about God, making friends and feeling the safety that the church and the kids center provides. But in the very beginning, I had a lot of opposition uh, in building the kids' center we built. In fact, in the very beginning, I was told to wait. And uh, I had sat down with somebody uh, from the church. And uh, this is just after uh, we had lost a pastor. Uh, she had resigned, and I had only been here you know, nine, ten months, so I wasn't a very established pastor at the moment. And so the church was feeling kind of leaderless, Right? People wasn't quite sure who I was. Uh, they, they knew who the person who resigned was. And now there, it was just kind of that leaderless moment. We're not sure where we're going. We're not sure what we're doing as a church. We're not even sure if we're going to make it through the summer. And that's exactly where we were at four or five years ago. And I remember uh, someone said, Tom, I'd like to have lunch with you. And so we sat down to meet. And they said, Tom, look, you're new here. And... I don't mean to offend you by saying this, but we really just lost the real pastor of the church. I was thinking, thank you very much. <laughs> and, and, you know, the church might not even make it now. And I'm thinking, thank you again. I love these encouraging lunches that we have. And then he said emphatically, don't build this kid center. We don't even have enough kids right now to warrant it. We don't need it. They're just fine out there in the little room in the front don't build the kids' center. Just ride it out and see if this church is even going to last. Tom, now is the time to play it safe, not stupid. And I remember for a moment I thought, yeah, that is how real life is lived, isn't it? I mean, we, we love to think, you know, uh, more courageous than that, but real life is wise, practical, reasonable. And I thought that for a split second. And then I was quiet. I looked down at my soup and I looked up and I began to get filled with rage inside. And I never said it, but I thought it. And I know this gentleman could see it in my eyes. And I thought, you coward, you coward. I moved my family a thousand miles south, and now you tell me to play it safe? 
I, I, I move to a, a land I don't know, a people I don't know, a state I don't know, a church I've never been to, and now you're telling me I need to play it safe, and I was raging inside my house. You coward! How dare you tell me this? How dare you come in and give me the provincial wisdom of the world? And for three years, our relationship was strained. I got horrible emails. Not just from, from him, but from other people. Tom, we shouldn't do this. Tom, we shouldn't do this. Tom, we shouldn't do this. Tom, why are you doing this? Some of you in here, you know I got those emails because I, I shared them with you. I had to pray the discouragement off me almost every night for three months. You may say, well, Tom, why did you do it? Because in the back of my mind, I heard this voice over and over and over saying, Tom, I've called you to feed my lambs. I've called you to feed my lambs. And to do that, you're going to have to take a risk. So we built the kids' center. How we built it, it's all a blur. I can't even remember who built it. I can't even remember that either. Maybe some angels come in at night and did it. I don't know. But one day it was up. And I remember walking around going, oh my goodness, I think this thing is done finally, you know? And uh, of course, it had cost a significant amount of money to build it. And I remember thinking, now here's the real test. It's open, but can we fill it? And within nine months, we had recouped every dollar we had spent on the kids' center. And within nine months, all, three classroom, all two classrooms and the kids' center was filled with kids. And some of you may remember that Sunday, that first Sunday when we opened it, and I'm trying to preach, and what do we hear? We hear the roar of kids coming through the walls. And I just stopped for a moment, and I told the church, you know what, I just want to enjoy that sound for a second, because it was a beautiful sound. Now you may say, Tom, why are you telling this story? Is it so that you can finally get it off your chest, how upset you were? Actually, it's not that at all. This is years ago now, and I don't even think about it much until I began researching for this message. Because you see, sometimes in order to get thrust into the purpose that God has for our lives, we've got to stop playing it so safe. We've got to go with that, what God is burning in our heads forward to do. And sometimes we've got to take those risks to do it. Sometimes playing it safe is the opposite of moving in faith. Let's go to Matthew chapter 14. Jesus has been out and he is in the middle of a crazy ministry schedule. He's, uh, he's not necessarily being chased yet. He's not being indicted yet. He's not being called a blasphemer yet. Right now, he is in the middle of a huge teaching ministry, and he is very, very popular. He's very, very drained, and he tells his disciples, go out in the middle of the boat. You guys start going. I'll catch up. I need to get by myself. How many of you, you ever have that moment? You just want to tell everybody in your life, disappear. I need to be by myself for a little bit, you know? I, some of you, you're the exact opposite. You're like, I need people around me. I need to defrag and I need people. I don't know how you do that, but hey, amen, whatever works for you. Jesus, he needed to get by himself for a moment. So in verse 22, it says, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. 
Later that night, he was there alone. And the boat was already a considerable distance from land. Why does the Bible put that in there? It was further than he could swim, right? a considerable distance from land. He's not going to swim out to the boat. And of course, there's also the waves, buffeted by the waves and the wind. So shortly before dawn, Jesus comes up with another plan. Uh, he begins to walk on the water of the lake. And in verse 26, it says, When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. There is a side of God, Christianity, the supernatural, that when, you're, when you come face to face with it, it's a little terrifying. It's a little scary. It's a little unnerving. It takes courage to step out in faith. Believe me, it's not something you just do on a coin toss. It will challenge every brave bone in your body to trust God in those moments. And of course, they see Jesus walking on the water. They know he's worked miracles. They know he's powerful. And yet still, even though they knew all of that, they knew a lot of what we know. They knew all of that. They were still terrified when they saw such an incredible miracle happening in front of them. And so they try to rationalize it like any good human being would do. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. I love that. Take courage. Man up. Come on. Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. And then Peter says something that I believe echoes in all of the statements of human history. Lord, if it's you, call me to come out and walk on the water. What an amazing statement. How many of us here would naturally think that? I don't think I would. I think I'd just, I'd be one of those types of, let's just stay and see how this plays out, right? You know, let's just see, you know, if he kicks his feet over the side of the boat and I can like grab him and shake him, all right, you know, I think a lot of us, we would play it safe. There's something different about Peter. There's something different about him. He likes to push the edge a little bit. He's not afraid of putting it out there. Lord, if it's you, then call me to come and walk on the water. Now, Jesus says with one word in verse 29, come on out. I just, you know, come on out. It's out come on, come on, Peter. And then Peter got down out of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. For a moment, moment Peter stopped playing it safe, and he experienced a miracle. Playing it safe will keep you from so many of the supernatural things God has for your life stepping out on faith, and you'll begin to experience the supernatural as a way of life. Amen? <clears throat> I found a quote here uh, from a Christian author that was really ties in with this very well. His name's Ray Johnston. And he said this, and I'm going to read this because it's just it's too good to embellish. I don't want to screw it up. He said, there's a new idol in America, and you should see it up here on the screen as well. There we go. 
It's not one of the usual suspects, sex, drugs, or materialism. This new idol is so powerful and pervasive that it can dominate your decisions and determine your destiny. People who succumb to it see their dreams discarded, their hearts shrunken, and their faith diminished, and their growth stunted. Living as victims with shriveled souls. What is this idol? It's the idol of safety. Americans have grown up obeying signs posted everywhere. Safety first. We have created the most risk-averse society in history. We are the most seat-belted, bike-helmeted, airbagged, knee-pad-wearing, private-schooled, gluten-freed, hand-sanitized, peanut-avoiding, sunscreen-slathering, hyper-insured, massively medicated, thank you, password-protected, valet-parked, security system, inoculated generation in history. And all it has done is make people more afraid of everything. Do you agree with that? Do you feel that? And all it has done is not make us feel more safe. It has made us feel more afraid. He says, I'm not talking about taking risks for risk's sake. You say, I'm not saying be stupid. If you jump off a bridge, you're probably going to die, right? So we're not talking about unwise risk-taking. He says, but I believe this new safety idol is destroying our faith. I began to think, you know, when I talk to Christians these days, they don't dream big dreams anymore. The other night, I, I, had dinner, I had dinner with a bunch of people, and I sat next to a young lady who's rather new to our church. And I said, you know, what do you, what do you want to do with your future? And I expected, oh, I want to, you know, settle down, marry a nice man, get a nice quiet house, live in the country, you know. Uh, she, she's a little bit more of a quiet person, so I just expected a nice, quiet answer. And she said, you know what I'd love to do? I'd love to be a missionary. I'd love to go where God is not. I'd love to go where worship is not. I'd love to go and just love people who've never experienced love from a Christian person before. And my heart lit up. I said, yeah, that's a life. That sounds adventurous. That sounds fun. Why don't we dream those big dreams anymore like that? Well, let's face it. It might not be safe. Why don't we share our faith or stand up for what's right? I don't know if you saw the, the, on, on Facebook, one of my friends posted a video, and it was a, a study that uh, two kids had done. They had play-acted a man beating up his girlfriend in the park next to a jogging path, and they were all acting it out. It was actually a boyfriend and girlfriend doing this. And uh, they wanted to see how many joggers would jog past before one stopped. And uh, out of, I think it was 34 joggers, only three stopped and asked the man to stop beating on his girlfriend. 31 people jogged right by. Do you know why? It might not be safe to get involved in someone else's problem right? We've become a people of self-preservationists. And so if it might not be safe, 
then we just don't get involved anymore. Most Christians don't get too close to the supernatural. Any of you been to an exorcism lately? I have. But I'll tell you this right now, they don't feel very safe. They don't feel very comfortable. It's not something you want to wake up one day and say, I'm going to put that on my list of things I'd like to experience. Why? Because it might not be safe. But my contention is, it's actually not safe to play it safe. A greater fear and insecurity begins to invade and pervade us when we lose our spiritual courage. That's exactly what had happened in the disciples in the boat. Eleven of them were too terrified. They didn't want to say the thing. They just wanted to see how this thing was going to play out. But one, one had the courage to say, Lord, if it's you, call me out so that I can walk on the water and say what you want about what happened after he walked on the water. For a few steps, Peter walked on water. For a few steps, one of the disciples experienced a miracle while the other 11 sat in fear. Do you want to be those 11? Or for once in our lives, do we want to step out and experience the power that that one disciple called Peter, even if it was just for a few moments, as he stopped playing it safe and stepped out in faith? couple of negative cons. I have four negative consequences for playing it safe. And the first one is playing it safe often limits our impact. It limits our impact. One time, I'm going to be very honest with you, I lied. And I didn't just lie courteously. I lied to get somebody to help in the ministry. I know what you're thinking, you know, Does God honor that? Does God use that? I don't think he does, but I just really needed to do this. I'm sorry. So I called my friend up. I said, hey, you want to hang up on Friday night? He's like, yeah, that sounds great. I said, all right, meet me here. Little did he know, I had a youth event that night, and that's where we were all meeting. He shows up. He's like, wow, that's strange. A lot of kids from the youth group are here too. I just kind of smiled. He went, wait a minute. Oh, and he... He felt betrayed. Tom, you lied to me. I thought we were going to hang out, and this is your way of getting me to help you in the youth ministry. I said, you know what? I am sorry, but I really just want you to try this. Just step out, because I just talked to your wife, and she's really tired of you coming home, sitting on the couch, eating dinner, and settling in for four hours of TV every night. It's affecting you. It's affecting your marriage. Can you just come and hang out with some kids with me? I'm already here. (laughs) Well, he hung out that night. He stopped playing it safe for a night. Little did he know his couch wasn't safe. (laughs) And he started hanging out with some kids. And after the end of the night, he said, you know, this wasn't all that bad. When are you going to do this again? We do it once a month. He said, oh, once a month? Okay. I said, hey, if you want to see some of these kids again, you know, we have youth group on Wednesday. He's like, oh, I'll think about that. So on Wednesday, what did I do? I lied again. (laughs) I said, hey, look, there's a couple of youth leaders that didn't show up, and I need some chairs to be set out, and I'm late. Can you run up to the church, and can you do this for me? Yeah, I can do it. So he runs up there, 
And my whole setup crew is setting up chairs. He comes up to me and says, you did it again. You lied to me. And I said, yes, I did, but I'm lying for a good reason. This is like Corey Ten Boom and the Nazis. Don't you get it? And he looks at me. He starts laughing. He says, oh, man, if you break the Nazis out on me, then I got to stay, you know? So he stayed that night. And, and the long story short, when I left five years ago and I was handing off the youth group to another pastor, uh, he came up and he said, you know, he, he, then he, at that point, he had been a committed leader for about six or seven years. He said, thank you so much for lying to me. He said, now I've got a purpose. Now my life has impact. My marriage has totally turned around. I, I, I don't want to go home and just sit in the couch and settle in for hours of TV and pizza and Coke. He said, man, I just can't. He said, thank you. Thank you. And, and I, it was a very emotional moment because I was obviously leaving and moving far away. And, and he, he, he kind of sobbed in my shoulder. And I remember thinking, you know what? A life of no impact was one path he was on. A life of eternal impact is the path he chose because for one moment, he decided not to play it safe. Second thing is, playing it safe can often shrink our faith. Turn to any passage of the Bible and show me where God called somebody to do something great and and, and he had to play it safe to do it. You won't find it. Abraham had to leave his homeland. Moses had to go up against Pharaoh. Joshua had to cross a river. David had to face a giant. Peter had to walk on water. And Jesus had to go to the cross. Oftentimes when we play it safe, our faith gets shriveled. Authentic faith is developed only when we respond to the call of God and take the risk. Not just think about it. That's because when we take the risk, what do we experience? We experience God coming through for us in a powerful way. There's a story in the Bible called the rich young ruler. And he was a young man. He came up to Jesus. He basically said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus looked at him and said, sell everything you have and follow me. That's a big risk. Sell everything I have and follow. Yeah, sell everything I have. That's, no, Jesus, we're under the Roman Empire. Now is not the time to stop playing it safe. So the man didn't do it. He kept his money, kept his house, kept his old life. But you know what he missed? He missed seeing people healed. He missed seeing blind eyes open. He missed being there at the first moments of the resurrection. Jesus invited him to follow him, to become a disciple. He missed all of that. We miss the miraculous when we play it safe. And it shrivels our faith. Number three, playing it safe stunts our growth. One time, uh, a dad in my last church said, I'm thinking of letting my 15-year-old daughter go to Mexico with you, but I want you to guarantee her safety. (laughs) I'm going to let my daughter go on a mission trip to Mexico with you, but I want you to guarantee that she is going to be safe. And you know what? I felt this concern. I was a father at that point. I get that, you know. You want to make sure. You don't don't want to send your daughter where she's going to be harmed anyway. But I looked at him and I said, look, I understand what you're saying. But my answer is no. 
I can't guarantee her safety. And that might be the best thing for her. Because I can guarantee you this, it's gonna be a lot safer for your daughter to go to Mexico, to learn to trust God, to develop a generous heart toward the poor and the needy than for her to grow up in this safe community, never having to stretch her faith, never having to trust in God. Why do you think I get these kids out of here so that they can see what the real world is like and what trusting God when you really need to is like? And he looked at me and he said, I know you're right. I can't protect her forever. You can't protect her forever. I said, look, I'm not going to, you know, we're not, we're not going to be sleeping in the streets. If you're asking me that, every reasonable precaution will be taken. But quite frankly, she could, you know, she could suffer an injury on the way home tonight, going back to your house, just as easily as where we're going in Mexico. Father, let her come. And boy, she was never the same. She ended up becoming a teacher and she spends her summers in Ethiopia teaching uh, in between June and August as a, as a short-term missionary. The idea that we can insulate our life from all harm is a sham. It's a sham. You know, in 18th century, you ever hear the story about in 18th century London what happened when the beer vat broke? The big old beer vat in London. They're making beer. And the thing just exploded and all this beer went in the street. Seven people died. Seven people died from beer. A beer vat exploding in the street. Same thing happened in Boston in the early 20th century. There, you know, in fact, that one I think was molasses, right? A molasses factory broke and all this molasses starts going in the street. 21 people died because of the molasses. They're, they're, the, way, the fact that we think we can insulate our life from all danger, it's a sham. It's a lie. You can never do that. Number four, playing it safe shrivels our hearts. Jesus says, I want you to go serve others. Playing it safe says, I can't spend that amount of time, God. Jesus says, I want you to bless the kingdom financially. Playing it safe says, God, I can't afford that. Do you understand the economics of our time? Jesus says, I want you to go talk to that person about me. Playing it safe says, Jesus, do you realize if I talk to that person about you, they may reject me forever? Jesus says, I want you to ask for forgiveness from that person. Playing it safe says, do you realize now that we're not on speaking terms and I just want to leave it that way because that's the safe route? Jesus says, I want you to lead a small group Bible study. Playing it safe says, I don't know how to do that. That's for the trained people to do, not people like me. Jesus says, I'd like you to work with the junior high school students. Playing it safe says, Jesus, you must be kidding. That must have been the pizza last night. Jesus asks us to be otherly. Being otherly is not safe. And in a society where we have become self-preservationists, this morning, I want you to see Peter walking on the water and allow Jesus and the Holy Spirit to shake some of that self-preservation because it limits our impact, shrinks our faith, shrivels our hearts, and stunts our growth. Now, I was gonna end the message there, but I thought, you know what? I better end it with 
wise risk-taking 101. So just give me a couple more minutes. I'm going to give you three quick points. And the first one is this. First, if you're going to step out on faith, make sure it's God, right? What did Peter say? Lord, if it's you, all right? You got to say that. It's okay if you feel God nudging you to do something, to take a step back and say, all right, but God, is this you or is just... This just like the movie I watched last night or the pizza I ate last night or the inspiring, you know, whatever. I mean, you want to make sure it's not just your feelings or emotions, that it is really God pushing forward into something. The second thing is stop saying no to everything just because it's scary. Stop saying no to everything just because you're in play it safe mode because it is not safe to play it safe all the time. There's a man, John Ortberg's right writes about a man in his book called Getting Out of the Boat. A man named Bob, he went up to his pastor and he said, you know what, Jesus said, ask for anything in my name and I'll give it to you. Is that really work? The pastor said, well, I don't know. What, what do you have in mind? He said, well, I'd like to pray about something and see if it works. He said, what would you like to pray about? He's like, oh, I don't know. I'll think about it. That week he watched a special on Kenya on the Nat Geo channel. So he came back and said, you know what, I'm gonna pray about Kenya. He said, all right, we'll pray about Kenya. So Weekly or whatever for a while, they were praying about Kenya, and he was just about to give up on the whole praying about Kenya thing when he goes to a dinner and meets a woman who works at an orphanage in Kenya. And his whole eyes light up. He says, you've got to be kidding. I've been praying for Kenya for months. She said, really? He said, yeah. I said, well, why don't you come over and look at what I'm doing? He said, I'll do just that. He goes over to Kenya, and he sees the orphanage, and the health care is atrocious. And she said, are you a doctor? He said, I'm not. But I know how to write in English very well. She looked at him and said, who cares? Why does that matter to me? He says, just a minute. He flies back to the United States. He spends the next couple of weeks writing the pharmaceutical companies about this orphanage in Kenya. They receive a million dollars in medicine. She freaks out. The whole country freaks out. They fly him over for a national party where the president of Kenya was there. And they're giving him a tour of the big city. And he looks at one of the prisons and says, what's that? And the president says, oh, that's where the political prisoners go. He goes, political prisoners? He says, yeah, what do you think about that? He says, I think it's a bad idea. I think you ought to let them out. One week after he lands back in the United States, the president of Kenya releases all of the political prisoners. He gets a call from the State Department of the United States. And he said, we had a very interesting conversation with the president of Kenya. He said that he released all of these political, pr political prisoners that we have been trying to get him to release for the last five years. And we asked him, why did you, why did you concede? He said, one of your citizens, a man named Bob, came over and convinced me it was the right thing to do. What the State Department couldn't accomplish in five years, God did through one Christian in one conversation and one chance meeting with the president of a country. That is what happens when we stop playing it safe and we inconvenience our life schedule enough to step out in faith. It'll take time. You'll have to schedule for it. You'll have to plan it out. You'll have to be ready for it. Get, get rid of your debts. Debts will hold you back from being able. You, you know, you got to play it safe when you're under a mountain of debt. You know, you, you begin to put yourself in a situation where God can use you anywhere, anytime for anyone. 
And the third thing is, realize what's at stake. The four most depressing words in the English language are this. It is too late. I've heard wives say to husbands, it is too late. I've heard husbands say to wives, it is too late. I've heard children say to their parents, it's too late. I've heard doctors say to their patients, it's too late. I've heard judges say to their prisoners, it's too late. I have never heard Jesus say to any man or woman or child, it's too late. See the difference? Jesus is not a playing it safe God. Jesus is a stepping out in faith God. And stepping out in faith will always involve a certain risk. I understand that. It is worth stepping out in faith and faithing the risk than sitting back comfortably in our false illusion of safety. Think about that for a moment. Think about what I told the father of the girl going to Mexico. She needs to go. She needs to get out of this bubble. She needs to get out of this umbrella because it's not safe to always play it safe. Buy your heads with me. Before we go, I'd like probably to make an invitation to do the most safe and yet it may feel like on the surface unsafe thing you've ever done. And that is to step out in faith and make a commitment to Jesus Christ. He is real. He is powerful. He is the one true reality. When you look at the mountains and the trees, they did not just happen. When you look at life, cells, reproduction, atoms, molecules, the universe, it's all by design. It's all a masterpiece that our creator is working. I could spend hours giving evidence I've seen of God's interaction with human life. But I'm just going to ask you to trust the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart right now. That Jesus, Jesus is God's son. Jesus is God. And that he wants to come and live in your heart. He wants to bring you to where he is in the afterlife. And then you can play it safe throughout all eternity because you'll be with Jesus and you'll never have to fear anything again. So if you'd like to make a step of faith this morning, stop playing it safe and make that risky decision to say, you know what? I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to make him my Lord and Savior. Bow your heads, close your eyes. If you want to make that decision this morning, please just look up at me right now. Amen. Amen. Let's pray this together. Say, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I believe you died on the cross and rose for me. Fill me with your spirit so that I may step out in faith and not play it safe. In Jesus' name, amen.